is where you are. Uh, no, it's actually quite the opposite. It's minus 20 with the windshield where I am. So it's a 50 degree delta after a 40 hour <laughs> travel day. Is, well, yeah, that's an abrupt end of vacation, if I do say so. You know, I, 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 I'm quite old, Rachel, and the number of people who've said things like 40 hour travel day has spiked in the last, say, five years since the pandemic, I guess. It just seems like you can't get on a plane and fly somewhere without some kind of a delay. And I know weather is a big part of it right now. But man, there's exhausted travelers nowadays. Yeah, like I was supposed to just be a regular four and a half hour flight direct and I mean, four missed approaches and two diverted cities later and then sitting eight hours on the tarmac in Montreal. Um, yeah, you can get tired and frustrated pretty quickly. Um, but you know what? My bag made it. And so I got all my stuff and I'd rather they uh, fly safely than rush any type of landing or takeoff. That's well, for sure, especially in the polar vortex that we're having out here. Yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. All right, let's talk about the, what is going, I think, going to be a very interesting uh, g- deadline for, for goaltenders just because there's needs from teams like Toronto and Edmonton, uh, although Skinner is playing well. And and the marketplace isn't, you know, lush with, with great goaltender options. Do you see this as being an extreme seller's market this time for the goaltending? Uh, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think right now we're what exactly in the middle of January. We just passed the, the halfway point of the season. There's some interesting um, sort of teams at play here, right? Who's going to fall out? It's usually sort of heading into all-star break that teams start to kind of separate themselves. You know, trade deadlines a little later this year. So you might not see decisions get made until about a month from now. But I think, yeah, right now is it's a bit of a seller's market. Um, there's, there's not a ton of goaltenders. And so when you look at it, teams that need them, whether it's New Jersey or Toronto, um, Edmonton, that there's, there's some, there's going to be competitive um, trades happening. And I think this is the, this is one of those times where if you're going to make a trade, you're probably overpaying. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's see, I always felt like it was going to be the Connor Halibut deadline and then he signed and then, you know, if you're if you're looking for a goaltender now, um, you're 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 probably overpaying, as you say. And then the options aren't that great. One team that I wonder about is Boston because they have they do have a need. It, it, I don't think they're going to trade anybody, but but is could somebody pry a goalie out of Boston? I don't know. That's the thing. I think if you're looking at it, um, you have to really have confidence that one of those guys that gets the guy that you're keeping going to be able to hold that fork down because part of the reason that those two are having success in Swayman and Olmark is because neither one of them is having to shoulder a starting load and that is a huge component in goaltending success and so I think they have a really robust analytics department there that's going to do that evaluation they have a good goaltending department as well and so I think that's sort of an interesting situation if you're going to get a player like that um it's probably going to be an Elias Lindholm going the other way, maybe a Nazem Kadri. Um, I'm just thinking Calgary uh, yep. right off the hop. But if you're you're looking at a pretty hefty, that's not a piecemeal deal, right? Because you're doing contender to contender there. Boston's going to want something in return that's going to help them now because let's face it, they're at the top of the Atlantic. And so when you look at it, if they are trading a goaltender, I think it's to bolster the middle of the ice there. And so I think they're probably going to need a center in return. 
Rachel Dory, our guest from Staff and Graph Podcast. The Oilers have been looking at what, you know, the center, maybe third line center, right defenseman uh, for the second pairing, goaltending. And I, I look at their assets and I've always assumed the first round pick is going to go, but they, they don't have a lot coming through the system. And I don't know, ideally, in a year where you're trying to win it all, you trade your first round pick and chances are it's a, a rental uh, who has value and is can, you can afford. But I don't know if the Oilers at this point in their cycle of winning can afford to just send away a draft pick, a first round pick, without getting somebody back in return with some term on their contract. Is that a fair assessment of their situation? I think that's a very fair assessment. They're in a unique position. Now, what I will say about the Edmonton Oilers is any year that you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is a push your chips in and go for it year, and anything less is unacceptable. So do you need to be judicious? Should you be issuing contracts that um, they have over the past few years? Absolutely not. You could definitely use that money a little bit better. But when it comes to the trade deadline, you cannot be clutching your pearls if it means getting a difference maker. So if the difference, let's take Boston, for example, let's say they lose their minds and they're, they want to trade one of their goaltenders and they're willing to accept a first round pick in return. If you can get assurances that you're going to be able to re-sign Jeremy Swayman, let's say, um, then I don't even think that's a question. I think that's you send that money packing. And um, if you're Boston, you, you get some cap space there and Edmonton obviously would have to send something the other way to make the cap work, but it really depends. You have to be, if you're Edmonton, you have to be very smart. You have to get an impact player. If you're trading that first round pick with a guarantee of either some term or it's got to be a star. Like if not that he's going to be available, obviously now, but if Connor Hellebuck was available, um, you trade your first round pick without assurances there, because that's the type of guy that can really carry you. Obviously he's not going to be available, but I think if, if a player of that caliber becomes available, I don't think you have any qualms about parting with your first round pick. You have to deal with all of the money and the issues after that. But as long as you have 97 and 29 in your lineup, you have to go for it. You owe it to them and you owe it to the fan base. Rachel, I want to uh, just drill down a little bit on the Pacific division right now. Uh, You've got Vancouver who, despite apparently wanting to turn Quinn Hughes into a center, uh, not that long ago, they look. That ho- is true. I oh. will say. <laughs> now, like, do you mind me asking about like is, is that like because I know owners and I know like I've heard stories about managers and you know you, you know a new coach comes in or whatever, but like how I know agents have more control now. Wouldn't the agent just balk at that? Wouldn't there? I I just can't believe that would ever have happened. Yeah. So the. the- the problem that you have is the player you're talking about is signed to a long-term contract. Um, and things did not go well for Vancouver to start the season last year, but that's the, I, the genesis of that idea is being completely misrepresented. Um, the genesis of that idea did not happen after Vancouver had their poor start last year. The genesis of that idea came in the off season and while obviously it didn't happen, there were some things at training camp that um, some people above Bruce took control of. And I think <laughs> when you look at it, uh, Quinn Hughes is under contract. And so while the agent can express his um, disagreement at the end of the day, um, you're really just going to have to do what the team says outside of requesting a trade. And obviously now he's a captain. He's not going to do that. I think the bigger story here is, is if you wanted to move Quinn Hughes to center, you had just signed JT Miller to an eight and a half, 
$8 million contract. What does that say about your belief in him at center if you wanted a center depth of Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson? And obviously JT has looked fantastic this year and good for him to rebound the way he has. But I think that kind of gives you a lens and a scope into their line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you look at it, if you can have a Norris Trophy caliber defense and playing 25 minutes a night, why on earth would you ever consider playing him 18 minutes a night in a position that he's not accustomed to playing at the National Hockey League level? Amen. I mean, it's just, it, it was a baffling when I, when, I, when I heard about it. Um, how, so let, I want to ask you, because I think Vancouver's home and dry. Now we've got Vegas, who are, are struggling. Kings look like the bloom is off the rose a little bit. And Edmonton is pushing, as is Seattle. How, much, how, how worried should Vegas and Los Angeles be, if at all? Um, I think Vancouver's home and dry in the sense that, yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. I think they absolutely should be worried about matchups and stuff like that because they're riding a PDO gravy train that uh, the second it goes off the rails could get ugly really quickly. Edmonton has gotten it back on the rails and thank goodness for the fans in Edmonton and frankly for the fans in the league. If I'm Vegas, I'm worried now because Jack Eichel looks like he's going to miss some time. And that is a superstar in this league and superstars have big impacts in this league. And so I think defensively, systematically, um, Vegas is obviously better, the better team here. They're probably for my money, the best system team in the league outside of the Bruins. And so I think they'll be able to withstand uh, the loss of Eichel should should Marcia so and Stone and uh, Chandler Stevenson gets healthy and, and steps up. I think they'll be okay. I'm not really worried about Vegas missing the playoffs. LA is a bit of a different animal. There's a lot going on there. Um, there, it's just there's something off there. I can't quite put my finger on it honestly, but there's something off there. And with Edmonton coming the way they're coming, um, that's that's a scenario where I think you and I, when we were talking six weeks ago we kind of had the discussion of can Edmonton get back in it. And I, I targeted LA as one of yeah. the vulnerable ones, them in Vancouver. And I think uh, Vancouver has done a good job of keeping themselves afloat, but LA has not. And I'm not sure if they're going to bolster themselves at the deadline or what they're going to do, but it kind of looks like Edmonton's really playing with some, some pizzazz now. And so I'd be, I'd be worried if I were LA. Yeah. Sure. I remember you talking about LA earlier. Uh, would you like? There's a bunch of afternoon games on, and I know it's Martin Luther King Day, but I like the idea of like if you've got 32 teams, that's 16 potential games. You should be able to play every day at least one game, and it would be if you've got like 12 games on the slate, and it's a weekday. Once in a while, I maybe you know business people special. I like the idea of having one or two games earlier in the day. Do you? I love it. Honestly, I think when you look at it, the frozen frenzy that the NHL did a couple of months back. They had 16 games the other night, and they didn't do it. Not really sure why. On a day like this, Martin Luther King Day, you've got eight teams in Canada. Give them the day off um, and have every team south of the border play. Make it a Martin Luther King Day special kind of thing. Um, obviously, we were only supposed to have one football game today. Now we have two. Thank you to the Polar Vortex. <laughs> but when you look at it, the NBA is playing all day. Why can't the NHL play all day? Like I, I love the idea of starting games at 1230 or 1 o'clock and going – all the way through, right? Play, you don't need to have a 10 o'clock game that night. There's no. no reason that you cannot have your last game end at 8 o'clock. And maybe you go a little lighter on the schedule because you know there's going to be a playoff football game. So maybe the 1 o'clock, the 12.30, 1.30, 3.30 window is where you stack some really good games so that people who are already home from work, they're already getting ready to watch football. They can turn on the hockey game and off we go. This is 
kind of the day where I think you should have some marquee matchups. Should he be healthy? I think having somebody like Connor Bedard play uh, Sidney yeah. Crosby on a day like today would be a great idea. Having your stars kind of clash head to head, having a, a Rangers devils game today would be a good idea. Like ha- have some rivalry stuff happen there. I think it's a great idea. And you got to stagger the starts. There can't be three at 12 and four at seven. Like that's just, it doesn't work. Like that. I, I agree. Totally. I think it's old, old ways thinking and it's got to go. Uh, do my Eagles win tonight? I think they're in trouble, honestly. Yeah, um, I think if you look at it, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been playing really well, and their strength is where the Eagles struggle, and that is in the passing game. The Eagles' secondary is really, really bad. And Chris Godwin and Mike Evans have been really good of late, as is Baker Mayfield. I think it's going to be a really tight game, and I wouldn't be surprised um, if it's a game-winning field goal that's kicked with a couple of seconds left. Honestly, I think it's going to be – That'll be the game of the day. Um, It's probably not going to outdo the the Rams-Lions game last night, but I think they're in some trouble. What about the Bills? Are they home and dry? Well, they're not home and dry, but do they win? (laughs) They're definitely not dry, that's for sure. (laughs) But I I cannot see a scenario where the Bills don't win. That would be a catastrophic collapse in the same vein of, like, whatever we saw from the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. That was absolutely dreadful. Um, And the Pittsburgh Steelers don't even have the level of quarterback that the Packers have in Jordan Love. So for the, for the bills to lose tonight, I think that was, uh, that was in shockwaves through the league for sure. I think you can pretty much rubber stamp the bills um, at this point. Rachel, you bring it every week. Thank you. Appreciate it.